The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hello and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mark Green. I'm standing in for Mary Woods um, today as she's away from the radio. Um, And today we have Mary Yost who is a dance therapist and substance abuse counsellor um, who works in New Hampshire and has particularly worked at integrating experiential and spiritual approaches to the treatment of opiate dependency. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. So, Mary, um, you know, the title of our talk on the radio show is Integrating Body-Mind Practices into Suboxone Treatment for Opiate Dependence. Say a little bit about each of these terms. First of all, what's Suboxone? Suboxone is a medication that has actually just recently been released on a little strip called a film. It's a medicine that allows people to gradually reduce their dependence um, on other opiate medicines. And some people will use this as maintenance in chronic pain treatment but the majority of people, it's used to um, give them some stability so that um, the addiction part is weaned off and they begin to retrain their mind and put things in their life in place um, where things have become a bit out of control when they've increased their tolerance to um, an opiate medication either due to um, a surgery uh, pain management, but most often we have an epidemic right now of it uh, related to recreational use by a lot of young people. And in fact, there's about 12 states across the country right now who have more deaths related to opiate overdose than actually deaths related to car accidents, New Hampshire being one of those states. Um, yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, it's a terrible statistic. It's always staggering, isn't it? Um, around in New Hampshire, probably you see a lot of um, OxyContin, um, Percocet, Oxycodone, Vicodin, um, and some heroin. Um, down um, on the eastern seaboard, you do see a lot of OxyContin coming up from Florida through the Appalachians. Um, on the, in different areas of the country, there be, might be more heroin than pill use. And as you say, there's a lot of um, use amongst um, younger, younger people. In the olden days, um, not so long ago, um, most people in opiate replacement programs would have developed an opiate dependency to heroin um, after, um, after slowly building up, um, getting involved in the drug scene and then um, uh, moving from more gateway drugs onto um, so-called harder drugs. These days, because it's pill use, um, 
kids are being initiated to it much earlier, developing a tolerance much quicker, and being surprised by finding themselves with this opiate dependency. And as you say, Suboxone can be either used for shorter-term use or maintenance. Um, and the, the experience has been that maintenance is effective and short-term use is ineffective. We're not quite so sure with younger um, populations whether that's still the case, but there's not too many reasons to imagine it's different. Um, and um, it sounds like you also work with many people who have developed opiate dependency through their exposure to opiates in the treatment of pain, right? Correct. So um, do you find um, some interesting differences, perhaps, between those populations, the pain population, and who have found their way into opiate dependency through prescription um, for pain? There are differences, and I think there are differences in their treatment, but I think there's a lot of similarities as we move into the place where the habit has become formed in the mind in terms of needing to reach for a pill for um, something to soothe the person and to replace their dependence on their own inner resources or coping skills. And also I think the similarity is that they've become sometimes numb to other more experiential parts of life and their life has become very, very focused on just finding that drug and decrease their ability to be aware of their sensations and what else is going on in their life in a fuller way. I think that's very interesting, yeah. People have become turned to the pills or drugs rather than um, look to themselves or to their family and people who have been there for them in the past, um, family, friends, and support. Um, so, but in instead numb themselves from, in from experience and just turn to the medication or the drug for, um, for solace. So what did you mean? Um, they've become... Uh, more numb to their sensations and their experience? Well, they're looking to off the sensation of the opiates in particular, um, and maybe more so than other types of drugs, is the experience of going away from the sensations in the body, which is why it is used in pain. And that experience is really happening in the brain. Um, it's not really actually going to the place, the medicine isn't going to the place where the pain is. So when we begin to ask them to have more awareness of their, both their emotions and their bodily sensations, they've sort of forgotten that connection. Um, so that's exactly right. Opiates aren't a, uh, analgesic in the same way that local anesthetics are, like lidocaine. Um, they change the emphasis the attention of the brain um, so that prior painful stimuli are no longer noticed as or interpreted as painful. Um, so, and so you're a dance therapist, an experiential therapist. You use hypnosis and meditation to really help people experience that sensation um, in a different way. So tell, tell me more about how that experience is numbed or um, approached differently and how you begin to move people forward in their recovery process? 
with that. Right. In the verbal aspects of the work, I'm asking them to redefine to some degrees what their sensations, begin to pay attention. And in an open-eye type of meditation, I'm really guiding them to, is that a tingling feeling? What type of sensation is that and how can you tolerate that? In a movement experience, and the majority of my groups um, are movement therapy groups. So we might start in a circle and we might do some body warm-ups where we're actually stretching a little bit and paying attention to where our feet touch the ground and then sometimes moving as a group in various different ways. And then usually it's about 20 minutes of movement and some yoga integrated and then about 15 or 20 minutes of meditation and relaxation exercises are introduced to all the patients so that then they can practice these. Part of their treatment plan then reflects back on how they have come to experience life, many things across the board in their life in a fuller way, Um, and having much more of a range of tolerance for all types of experiences and sensations, and of course emotions. Um, We, you know, there's usually a lot of trauma in the addicted population, especially well, I would say it's maybe 10 or 20 percent, and it may not always, with the newer and the younger people I'm seeing, they don't necessarily have as much trauma, but still those who have had a lot of trauma or difficult circumstances are also using their drugs to run away from the emotional aspects of their life. So I'm in the dancing part and in the moving part trying to help them really have a sense of connection to themselves, to their community, which might be that group, and to the sense of joy in their body, which they may have forgotten about. So um, I want to, obviously we're going to talk about this in greater detail, but I think it's it's, uh, worth emphasizing, yeah, the the, people who have been on long-term opiates um, have a different interpretation of their normal sensation. Physical sensation can be experienced, just a stroke can be experienced as, extremely unpleasant um, and pain tolerance goes down profoundly so even though um, so a normal uh, minor irritation might be experienced as exquisitely painful and that's in the physical realm but you're saying it's also in the emotional realm and that's that's true you see people when they first come into treatment um, with um, very high sensitivity to stress part of that is that their stress hormone system's on fire because the opiates have dampened it down. And without the opiates, they're very responsive to normal triggers and minor stresses and feel those too as very noxious and very overwhelming and intolerable. So you're saying part of the verbal work is hearing the sensation, experiencing the sensations as tingling rather than unbearable sensations so you're reinterpreting those is that is that right you're sort of doing that verbally and in some of the more meditative work that you're doing yes and to some degree that's a process of desensitization but it's also a process of as you know increasing their ability to find joy as well as increasing basically those tools and skills that allow them to have you know, more experience 
and be able to tolerate as well as some coping skills, some new skills for communication in relationships to make everything um, a little bit more bearable or experience it as joyful. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's come back to a little bit more of that after a short break. Thank you. Sure. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your health matters. Now, you know that, and I know that, but many of us don't know where to begin when it comes to taking care of our health. Osteopathic manual therapist and host Carol DeSilva Peaks believes that health is based on three principles. The human body is one dynamic unit. Structure and function are interrelated, and the body has an inherent ability to heal itself. Applying these principles will aid in the determining and the location of the disease. With proper treatment, health will be achieved. Find out more Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Your Health Matters on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mark Green standing in for Mary. Um, and with guest today, Mary Yost, who's a substance and alcohol abuse counsellor and dance and uh, pastoral counsellor, dance therapist and pastoral counsellor. Mary, help us, um, help us understand what the relaxation and meditation techniques mean and what it might actually look or feel like in, in your work. Okay, and again, thank you for having me. I guess I would like to reflect on the fact that um, I come from a group of workers that do pastoral counseling, and the majority of spiritual traditions have taught, um, you know, any type of prayer and meditation techniques which allow people to have a sense of connection to something deeper in themselves or a higher power, so to speak. And the addictions treatment... Um, over time has done quite a bit of that work integrated into AA and NA. So as a prelude to that, what I do is offer some relaxation techniques that might be body-focused, which means paying attention to various parts of the body and very consciously releasing and letting go and softening that area of the body and softening your attitude towards it in terms of 
um, judgment or emotions or what you're experiencing as you're moving through that part of your body, whether it's in movement but most likely in a relaxation state. And I might have clients sitting in a chair and I might have them laying on the floor and I might first say, notice where your body is soft or makes contact and is relaxed on the floor or in the chair. Mm-hmm. Is your arm softer? Um, if you think and you direct awareness and attention to that area, can it soften and relax? So it's applying that attitude. And then, like many meditation techniques, we might direct the awareness towards the breath. And then allow people to just look at and watch their thoughts and watch what sensations arise and what they do with them. So much of that is helping the client and myself as a clinician learn how they cope and tolerate and what they do with what comes up. Okay. Now, how do you... um, I would imagine that many of the people that you see aren't that thrilled to be told to um, just soften and soothe and relax. Um, These are people um, who are not very experienced with softening and soothing and relaxed without a pill and um, might not um, jump at the opportunity to uh, sit down and do something which is more, um, more in the spiritual um, realm. What, is, that, is that the case, or do you find that people actually get really on into it? Well, it really is, it really is funny because... I think they are looking for something, and they may look at me kind of suspiciously, but more often than not, they're really wanting some help, and they've come because they want help. And it may be difficult. There is anxiety present, and they might be worried about if they're doing it right or wrong, but it's actually completely amazing how easily and how often I have... Guys, they're plumbers with tattoos and the most unsuspecting characters who, within a couple weeks to a couple months, have really developed some real techniques at this. And they are relieved that there are other options. Again, these are the people who are generally presenting. Sometimes they're presenting for treatment not completely willingly. There may be many factors that brought them into treatment. But I, I'm just amazed at how often they want to surrender and learn how to relax because they know that they've been using. At that point, they realize that they've been using the medicines for those reasons. And they're, they're wanting to have hope that something else can work. Right. And I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, initially, there's some awkwardness, um, and some people find difficult to get into the idea but everyone enjoys it when they're doing it. Um, no, maybe that's not strictly true. Some people do get a little more anxious as they begin to pay attention to their internal experience, but different meditation techniques, and whether it's open, internal focus or external focus or whatnot, can help titrate that anxiety to make it more bearable. But the experience of being compassionate to oneself and taking the time to relax is inherently pleasurable, isn't it? So, um, and, and it's also nice to have a therapist be so attentive to your experience um, for, an, for an hour like this. So 
Yes, I and think. if they do have anxiety, that's where the movement really can come in handy. So we might actually stand up and do stretching, or we might do the warrior yoga pose, which allows you to extend your arms and relax and release and learn to soften in the pose while you're actually directing your energy in a very focused way. So the movement comes in handy for people who can't quite get to the place where they want to let go that much. <laughs> so, you know, there's, mm-hmm. all, there's all kinds of situations, and it's not completely predictable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, they've been banging their head against the brick wall for a long time. They've either been trying opiates at escalating doses, and their life has got more and more miserable, and their pain is not better. Um, in fact, their overall level of suffering is considerably worse, and often their pain is worse. Um, so they are looking for some kind of alternative, and they know that whatever they've been doing has not been helpful so far. Yeah, there may be a lot of factors that make it feel out of control, even though there's a part of them that might believe that the medicines are still working. But, you know, they need to ingest so much, and it's costing them a lot of money, their relationships, their work, other things are falling apart, so they've usually come to a place to say, oh, this can't work for much longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in some of the... Um movement techniques that you're describing. So you mentioned the warrior pose and some yoga stretches. Um, how are the movement techniques less anxiety-provoking? And uh, how might you use them? You do have to pick up on the quality of sort of the energy that's present when you're, you know, obviously, as we all do when we're working with people. So there are times when the movement might actually be more of a, rhythmic music I might be using and kind of a little bit of dancing or walking or walking in a big circle or stretching um, specific parts of the body. What I'm doing as I'm moving with people as a dance therapist is I'm watching very closely what types of movements are already occurring. So how can I reflect these movements back, expand them, and then maybe shift them if necessary or at least call awareness um, to where people, you know. So I might say, for example, um, you know, you're kind of wiggling in your arms. What does that feel like? So let's all wiggle together a little bit, and let's make it playful and fun. And I'm absolutely amazed at how much people just jump in and begin to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. At first, you know, they're like, again, what am I doing? And they're a little self-conscious. But for some reason, they're able to shake it off pretty fast, and be present in the moment with what's happening. And then they always say, wow, I feel different. I feel so much better. And then they can anticipate that when they're walking in the door, even though the first couple times they were like, oh, this is pretty odd. This is strange stuff that they're asking me to do here. And with the physician's encouragement, um, and often the physicians are in a place to have to say, your participation is mandatory, please just try this a little bit. We're not going to force anyone to do anything they're really uncomfortable with or causes pain. Um, We have to be very gentle with the stretching, and um, I watch very closely how people are moving. So I hope that answers the question. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, partly what you said earlier was you're trying to help people find new joy. I would imagine that your sessions are 
pretty fun and that people are, don't don't leave feeling oh my god that was a really heavy session uh, but come out with a smile and a feeling of satisfaction yeah generally that's true the movement part can be very playful and then usually the movement is followed by meditation so actually by the time they leave i'm actually awakening them again and saying okay are you feeling focused now um you know to drive they're usually have been moving and then they feel a lot more energy moving through their body and then we're settling and integrating that um so they sometimes have to refocus they're like wow i was in a different world while i was here and then i ask them how can they take this both the softening the relaxation and the new attitude into other places where they are in their life mm-hmm. do you ever find that certain movements that you evoke that you ask them to do evoke unpleasant or not i'm not talking about pain i'm not talking about bringing people to um uncomfortable positions i'm wondering whether they the the positions that you ask people to get into or play with um can evoke negative emotions ever yes that happens and we might be processing and talking about that even as it's happening so if i'm seeing that arise in someone um or in the group in general so someone might say i'm throwing this away today i'm letting go of this we often will move for a while we might sit and discuss and process some of that for a while um each group can be different and i run a number of different types of groups so some are more focused especially a closed group that meets consistently they're going to be more vulnerable and they do talk about the difficult and painful things that are happening both in their body and in their life um and then we might do the meditation after the discussions at times it depends on the group i run several different types of groups some are actually a little bit more educational and some are more process oriented okay um well we're going to come up for a little break in a moment but um perhaps one thing that i'd like to ask you after the break is around this idea of um emotions being expressed in the body um and um how powerful uh, certain body sensations body sensations can be um in um helping un- people understand um perhaps deeper conflicts or deeper issues in their lives um so perhaps we'll come back in a moment Sure. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you are a first-year mom or maybe a mother-to-be, tune in every week for From Here to Maternity. 
Your host, Janet Markovitz, will answer some of those questions that others won't. Learn what to ask your professional and when to ask it. We'll take a look at the latest products for new moms and future moms. We're here to support you and answer your questions in this special and sometimes difficult time. From Here to Maternity is broadcast live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. So, back with Mary Yost. Am I pronouncing your name correctly, Mary? Yes, you are. Okay, thank you. Um, Y-O-S-T. Um, and uh, so, Mary, you know, you're, you came from a, um, pa- you're a pastoral counsellor, and as you said, addiction treatment often talks about a higher power, particularly in 12-step approaches. Um, and focuses around spirituality. Um, how do the, how does the work that you do um, help people get more in touch with um, this this spirituality? And how important do you think that is? I think it's important that people have a sense of what really works for them, essentially. And spirituality might mean a lot of different things to a lot of people when they first come in. If they have a frame of reference, they've been involved in a church um, or a particular practicing religion, then I will work from that base as I have studied many religions. Generally, I try to bring it back to what works in every religion to some degree and what will help this particular person. I teach a lot of um, techniques and ideas that come from Buddhism currently uh, related to mind training and um, concepts of what is temporary and what is stable in a, in a person's life and helping them build a foundation on every level, both spiritually, emotionally, um, at every level in their life. And the Suboxone contributes to the physical stabilization of the person until they have a really strong foundation um, to build on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you say that um, you've helped people focus on the difference between temporary and stable in their life, can you tell me what you mean by that? Yes. Well, how do they get focused in the moments and in the present of their life? So, And what do they see that they're letting go of each day? So some things that are temporary might be just a bunch of fleeting emotions today. So now, what would make those emotions um, something that would be concrete and not be good for them, or what would, what would be the emotions that they want to stabilize in themselves, and how can they actually direct that experience through working with whatever spiritual path that they actually have? So stable might be experiencing that there's a positive, loving God for some people, um, for other people, they might not believe in anything that's stable, um, but they might 
say, I have a foundation of friends or connections to people that feel stable and support me. So I'm looking at what's supportive to them and, you know, what do they see as things that are passing out of their life. Okay. And you help them bear the passage and and the mourning of certain things which may have been important to them or they thought were important to them. That might be um, drugs-related or that might be their relationship to their pain. Um, And um, stabilize factors which could be supportive or nurturing in their recovery. Right. Okay. Um, Now, you also said that many of the techniques you've used um, are derived from Buddhist realms at the moment, and you would, I, I guess you're thinking specifically of mindfulness approaches and meditation? Right, and I have studied the mindfulness-based stress management techniques and integrate that and talk to people about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't find that it's essential to, um, um, well... You don't, but you, you don't have any particular adherence to any particular approach and um, spiritual base with your or perspective with your clients, um, but um, will enable them to find their own um, relationship with that. Right. I want to start where they're at, and people have quite a variety of experience in terms of both positive and negative experiences at times. So mm-hmm. some of that has to be worked with. Um, so, but I do tend to integrate if they have, if they'll say, oh, no, I've never had any spiritual connection, I don't believe in anything, I never was raised in any religion, then I'm going to give them, and I give all my clients a lot of reading across the board. Uh, and I might, it might be from any number of venues, but I most often will recommend um, what, the culture can accept in terms of, you know, teachers or, you know, popular, like Pema Chodron is very popular now, and she is also a teacher of mine, or mm-hmm. some of the psychologists like, you know, Jack Cornfield and um, other doctors who've written about this area. Okay. I'll, I'll give them those readings and see how that integrates into their own religious perspective. And what kind of doctors have written about these areas? Well, you have John Kabat-Zinn, who okay. maybe he's more of a psychologist, but he works with the medical community um, in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of medical support and really a lot of enthusiasm now on uh, the medical profession in support of, you know, these traditions. Yes, um, and... I think it's very good for experiential and dance therapy therapists too because for, for a while, especially with the rise of managed care and reimbursement, um, services for experiential dance and art therapists um, really um, dwindled um, and things became a lot more cookie-cutter and um, distant from experience and um, sensation um, and uh, much more sort of cold cognitive uh, rather than hot emotional. Um, and I think there's been a very important return to bringing in the body and emotions into, into addictions treatment. Would you agree with that? Yes, and I think that there's been a great movement of cross-pollination and integration um, with all these therapies, 
you know, art and music and, you know, meditation and yoga, it's, it's really blossomed. I think a lot of it has come from the peers, from consumers who have found these um, techniques so compelling themselves. Um, and really, as the uh, consumer movement has demanded more of a voice in treatment, um, I've said, look, this is something which we valued. This is something which we want to, to see. Um, perhaps you could take us through um, an example of somebody who you may have treated, you know, obviously disguising, you know, their sex and age and name profession so that we have no idea who you're talking about. Um, but, or it could even be a composite. Um, and to, to illustrate how someone um, can come to treatment and um, use some of these techniques to, to help them. Is that possible? Sure. Um, yeah, I think I can do a composite that will sort of blend um, actually two or three different female patients, and I don't think it, it would be easily identified because they're common um, enough problems. Um, but, for example, um, uh, I often for a long time worked with drug-addicted pregnant women, and this population had gone often through the process of, like, losing their children so that their children would um, be taken away from them because of their, you know, addictions or some other behavioral problems. Yeah. So in one session, uh, I, you know, I'd worked probably about, eight to 12 weeks with, let's say, this woman, and we'll make up a name, we'll call her Kyrene. And she was really in the process of grieving one of her children who had been placed in foster care. Mm-hmm. And we were in a group, and we were doing a warm-up in the group of really reaching side to side and then reaching forward into the group. And I asked people to kind of, what can you let go of that's heavy in your heart today? So she's doing that movement with her arm, and she becomes very, very sad. And often the groups are more playful than that, but she instinctively stepped forward in the group, and the rest of the circle stepped forward with her. So instead of actually really talking about it, she basically was saying, I'm letting go of the fact that I don't have control over what's happening with my child right now, and I don't have contact with my child but the rest of the group just moved closer and closer with her. And as she put her hand in the, in the circle, another person reached up and kind of lifted the hand. So without a lot of verbal talking, we, there was a little bit of support in the movement and in the dance. So we moved forward, and we were sort of imagining that we were lifting her hand up, and then we, we stepped back. And... You could just see her take a deep breath and relax and know that she could let go of this for a little while and that she was doing all the things she needed to in treatment to work and move forward to getting her child back. So there was a lot that was unspoken, but a lot that just got moved within maybe just a couple minutes of moving. There would have been a lot more talking had we not had that opportunity. And then we moved into stretching and some lightness and, you know, it kind of moved on from there. So um, I think that talks about um, how it can be easier to express oneself perhaps um, with movement and particularly in a group um, where you have this shared 
um, activity and nonverbal activity can be easier to express oneself um, than in words, which takes a lot of education and training um, and experience to be able to really talk things through um, logically in a therapy and feel it on an emotional level. Yes, and it's a great tool to have, and it's not always easy, um, so. Okay, thanks very much. We'll have another short break and come back afterwards. Thanks. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Are you ready to get freed up? Join Dr. Jennifer Freed, one of America's leading psychological thinkers, for a groundbreaking program with fascinating guests and full participation from you. Freed Up will explore topics like liberation in long-term relationships, parenting in the 21st century, comfort in stressful times, and much more. Tune in to Freed Up every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and wake up to the heartbeat of your life. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. So, um, welcome back to Mary Yost. Hi, Mary. Hi. So, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about what Suboxone does, opiate dependency, the stresses and strains that come to people, the difficulty with trust, um, and some of the uh, use of mindfulness and movement techniques to help people feel supported in a group, express things which are difficult to express verbally. Um, and um, and I would imagine also that there's some pretty powerful emotions that come up during um, some body movements, um, and especially if you're working with people who've had a lot of pain and a very um, fearful reaction to their pain experiences. So I want to ask you a little bit more about that. What's it like, um, and how do you work with someone who has a lot of chronic pain um, so that you can change their um, attitude towards such an experience so that, so that there's less suffering even when the pain is still there. Right, and I think part of what they might say initially is, I don't want to feel anything. I've been feeling too much. That's why I take the opiates, mm. because I don't like to feel what's happening. And and there might be some anger and some resistance in the beginning. 
And so what we do is try to begin to experience maybe just in a little bit of stretching or if you move your toes, where is there something that feels good or okay in between what feels uncomfortable? And also looking at that emotional range and looking at whatever else is happening in their life about what they feel hopeful about and good about. Because often people with chronic pain, they are frustrated. And for good reason, they are feeling like they're not useful in life. And we have to help all those pieces come together. And I find that, you know, as they're feeling more empowered at some level and that they feel like they have some choices even in their bodies to create something that feels and moving around what is real pain to find what feels good or okay and then increasing that ability to say, wow, this actually feels really good or just laying in the sun feels really good. So sometimes that's the practice. I give everybody homework and a lot of times it's really just sit in the sun for five minutes or All right, know, so people have become very closed down. So this is interesting. So um, one of the things you're saying is that um, people have tried to avoid all of their pain, say, I don't, I don't want to experience any of this because it's just unpleasant. And I think people can feel unvalidated, invalidated, um, by someone saying, well, you know, just accept it and we'll just sort of help you get more comfortable with it. And especially being passed from doctor to doctor who says, we'll try this approach or that approach, and eventually feeling that they've failed or not been accepted by the medical profession or their family as they've developed opiate dependency and still feel lousy. So... Um, one thing that you're saying is that you help them find some islands of um, soothing or uh, to begin to break up the um, the completeness of their awful ex- awfulness so that they find moments when it's not so bad or when it's actually pleasurable and focus on those so that they can expand it. And perhaps part of the uh, part of your approach involves the group experience making them feel like it's okay and that they are respected and they are listened to and they are validated um, so that it's okay to begin to explore some of those times when it's not so exquisitely awful. Is that, is that Yes, right? definitely. And that they're, they're not alone. And that is what's important about a group process. But you also mentioned the word acceptance. And I think I'm always working on acceptance without, like you said, minimizing what they're really experiencing. And what we all experience as we age and have suffering in our life in some way, but really looking at the paradox of that experience of as we actually can deepen in acceptance and really hold something without resisting and struggling with it, that we actually have less um, suffering about it. And that is such a significant part of, for all of us, I think, the lessons that we're going to have to learn in life as we move, you know, always towards uh, the end of our life. <laughs> yeah. I've got to say, I, one of the great challenges of talking about this stuff um, is that um, it's, it's so easy to say but it's an entirely different thing to experience it. This is not stuff, you know, I, I, I don't particularly like reading too much of, you know, Pema Chodron or other 
other writers because you can get an essence of what she's saying, but really to get it, you've got to have an experience of it in a group or doing it yourself, you know, or sitting in the sun and noticing those moments and being willing to expand them um, so that they can be side by side with some, um, so it's not all pain and all avoidance. Um, so I think the reading can really augment what you do in the group, but to have the experience is so much more powerful. Um, I think we could all, um, we can all notice a similar time, for example, when we've had a really difficult day and we step outside and feel the breeze or feel the sun and getting more in touch with that experience of feeling better and feeling fully and being kind to ourselves and breathing a little more easily um, and um, feeling that it's going to be okay. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's very hard to, to sort of talk about the, the concept right. of acceptance. And, um, and for most of us in, you know, the psychological world, we have had lots of exposure. So for people just coming in, this is all very kind of a new concept. And when you see it click, in the, they're like, aha, wow. They really, when they start catching it, it's great. But for all of us, it's about recognizing it and recognizing our reactions or our responses to what's happening a little bit at a time each day so that those a bad day doesn't really happen because you're not letting it build up. You're pulling it back all, you know, sooner. And that's the practice. Um, that's what we, you know, we all have to keep practicing always to, and that's why I go to my own classes and, you know, continue to get inspired so that I'm watching all the time what might build up to what's going to feel like a lot of suffering for one reason or another, whether it's physical, too much at the gym, or if it's emotional or it's just exhaustion. And it's hard to do in our culture because we have... Uh, so many things we're excited about. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, we're coming to the end of the show, and I want to ask you, um, coming off the box zone's tough. Um, once you've developed an opiate dependency for a long time, um, whether you go cold turkey and, and stop, um, or whether you really taper extremely slowly, you often have a period of post-acute withdrawal syndrome, which can go on for many months. Um, with some distress and misery and difficult, difficulty with sleep. And most people relapse um, unless they've built up substantial new recovery skills, coping skills, support networks, um, ways to manage comorbid psychiatric issues which could push them into, uh, back into drug use. So you need a lot to get back into it. Um, but the... Relapse rates are very, very high. Do you think that attendance to some of the techniques that you're talking about, um, the distress, the pain, the physical experience, um, and expanding these moments of, of joy and okayness um, can substantially change that? Well, obviously, I do think it does, or I wouldn't keep doing it over 20 years. Um, and actually, it's just been Suboxone treatment, really, the eight or nine years that I've worked with it. But what I find is that um, this process of coming off, it, it is very different for di many different people, but if they come off for a week or two and they're really still working 
their program, so to speak, whatever that might be, and they've put a lot of the effort and, and skill building into what they need, they're at a place where they're ready. Um, and it, it's the same with um, smoking. And I had a guy today actually telling me that, you know, I just don't want to. I really feel better. I've come to feel better in my life without that. And yes, I feel a little bit more suffering, especially for those recreational users. It's a different situation when you have someone with a a serious medical chronic pain condition, but they are able to say that I do feel more of this suffering, but I have so much more tolerance, essentially, and I have so many other things that are good. And they might come off for 10 days and then use a little bit of Suboxone. If they're not prepared, then the, the, the relapse is a real relapse and a crash. But in a way that's planned, they might go 10 days, come back to Suboxone, and then a month, and or they might just stop but keep coming to treatment. And I find that those are the people who are most successful and completely weaning off the opiates. I see. So instead of just slowly taping the dose, you might actually um, encourage them to have a few days without or a week without and then a smaller dose um, and increase their tolerance of that experience in between. Right, and learning how to prepare themselves for what it's going to be like to be completely off. Usually people are at a fairly low dose, and I have quite a number of people who are at a placebo dose, and they're saying, but my mind can't let go of this habit. I am just terrified. My life was miserable. It really fell apart. They're very afraid. And so mm-hmm. then we're really working at increasing their confidence. Well, Mary, we've come to the end of the show. and I want to thank you for being a great guest. It sounds like you do some lovely work. Um, and uh, I think that the integration of mind-body practices is really uh, taking off throughout mental health and in addiction treatment especially. Um, and it sounds like you're really at the forefront. And uh, thanks again. Well, thank you. Okay, take care. Good. Bye-bye. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.